You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. Can people change? Can people truly, deeply, really change? Your worst enemy, the person you've given up on, the person you ignore, can they change? And if they did change for the better, how would you respond? Friends, can people change? Can you change? Turn to Jonah 3. Uh, Jonah chapter 3. We're wrapping up our series in the book of Jonah. uh, And this series has been titled, Who's in Charge? Uh, Who's in Charge? And the book of Jonah has painted a clear answer. God. Uh, The surprising God who calls his prophet Jonah to minister to his enemies, the people of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah tries to run away, which might have worked, uh, except for that he was trying to run from the sovereign God, the God who sends a storm to wake up his sleeping prophet. And yet, beloved, haven't we in our studies seen that this sovereign God is also the saving God? Uh, The God who saves some unlikely sailors. The God who even saves his rebellious prophet from a watery grave. You'll remember last week, we talked about Jonah, Jonah's burial in the waters. Uh, But we also talked about his resurrection as God saved him, in a sense, from the grave. Friends, From the sailors to Jonah, we've seen so clearly what Jonah confessed at the end of chapter 2, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And I pray we see that even more clearly tonight. Because after all, Jonah's account is not over. Uh, Jonah's resurrected in a sense, ultimately by the Lord and physically by the fish. Uh, The fish vomited Jonah up onto dry land, and the question is, what would Jonah do now? Uh, Did time in the fish fix the prophet? Or would he run away again? Would Nineveh finally hear God's message? Can people change? Let's see in Jonah chapter 3. If you're not used to looking at a Bible, the big number is the chapter, the little number is the verse. Let's start in chapter 2, verse 10. God's word reads, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. 
Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, get 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pause there. Beloved, can people change? Our text has two happy answers for us this evening, and here's the first. Yes. Can people change? Answer, point number one, yes, because of God's power. Can people change? Answer, point number one, yes, because of God's power. We see this in chapter 3, verses 1 1 through 10. Let's walk back through it. Friends, Jonah got spat up onto dry land, and what does God do? Give up on him. Scold him. No, look at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And the text goes on to repeat much of what God said the first time. In chapter 1, verse 2. Friends, God gives Jonah a second chance. Brothers and sisters, did you know that you serve a second chance God? Isn't that a relief? I mean, surely I'm not the only Christian in this room who's tried to share the gospel with someone and it was an epic failure. Surely I'm not the only Christian in this room who'd love a second chance to share the gospel with that friend, that neighbor, that coworker. Not a coworker for me, I'm a pastor, I don't share the gospel uh, with my coworkers, but you know what I mean. Friends, God is so gracious that sometimes he grants a second chance. And he's so determined to reach the unlikeliest of people that even his own people, people like Jonah, won't stop him. And so he sends his word to Jonah the second time. In verse 2, we see the only difference between this calling and the one God gave Jonah in chapter 1 is that God says, call out against Nineveh the message that I tell you. Preachers in the room. We preach only what God has given us. And in verse 3, we see Jonah arise like he did in chapter 1. But this time, he goes to Nineveh. Yay! Jonah doesn't go to Tarshish. No, he goes to Nineveh. Jonah continues in his calling. He is recommissioned. 
Now, to be clear, beloved, Jonah, in a sense, being restored to ministry does not mean that if I have a moral failure or if Cam or another elder has a moral failure, you should just give us a second chance and move on. No, brothers and sisters, there's lots of words in the Bible about dealing with fallen leaders in the church. We don't have time to get into them, but I want you to have that category. Remember, Jonah's life isn't a template that we can map one-to-one onto ours. But friends, remember also that Jonah is not the point. God's power is. After all, consider how Jonah in verse 3 goes to Nineveh. We're told it's a great city that takes three days to get across. Jonah just goes one day and he calls out in verse 4, look at at verse 4 with me, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's it. No smoke and lights in this gospel presentation, if we can even call it that. No bridge diagram. Just 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, on the one hand, this sentence could be a summary of all that Jonah actually said. But even this summary shows that what Jonah said isn't the main point. After all, notice who the people believed. Verse 5, it says, look with me. The people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. Jonah was simply his mouthpiece. Oh, beloved, be encouraged. If you get nervous in evangelism, if you feel like a weak evangelist, you are the perfect candidate for God's evangelism team. Uh, He doesn't need your skill or your eloquence. No, he can save someone with a fumbling sentence. Friends, we're not looking for mighty messengers. A a mighty message used by a mighty God is more than enough. So, my fellow wimpy evangelists, share the gospel with others. However much you might fumble in doing it. Who knows? God might just work. And that's what we see in Nineveh. A citywide revival breaks out from a sentence The believing people, the Ninevites, become the fasting people, the sackcloth-wearing people. I love how verse 5 says the people called for a fast from the greatest of them to the least, Uh, from parents to kids. You can imagine a Ninevite kid coming to his dad and being like, Dad, what are we doing? And the dad saying, put this on, we're repenting. Parents, are you teaching your children about repentance? Kids, teenagers, are you listening to the truths of the Bible your parents are teaching you? After all, part of the good news of the gospel isn't just that salvation is free, but also that it's free to all. Parents and kids, powerful people and weak people. We see a powerful person in our next verse, verse 6, where God's word of judgment had reached the king of Nineveh. 
Uh, Verse 6 says the king arose. It's so interesting. Jonah earlier in the book arose and ran. The king of Nineveh arose and repented. The text says he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Uh, The king goes on to give this proclamation. He calls for a city-wide fast. He says, eat no food, drink no drink. And the same even goes for the animals. Now you might wonder, why does the king have the animals fast? Friends, it's not so the animals could be saved, but so that people would not rely on them. Now think about it. Animals, that's food, that's economic currency in that day. And saying, be willing to lose even the animals. The king was having the people offer up their very livelihood to demonstrate their repentance. Now the king is trying to show total surrender to God and total reliance on God. He's saying nothing else can save us. Not our strength, not our money, not even the very food that sustains us. We're relying on nothing else. Beloved, imagine the scene. Nineveh is a bustling city and the king calls everything to a halt. Imagine someone hitting the pause button on New York City. The king pauses everything so the people can do what? Pray. Verse 8, the king says, pause everything and let everyone call out mightily to God. Didn't we say it last week? Too often we see it as our last resort, but our last resort remains our best resort, prayer. Let everyone call out mightily to God, the king says in verse 8. And let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. Brothers and sisters, you'll remember in our first sermon how we talked about the violence Nineveh was known for. And what we see here is a king calling his people to turn from your false gods, to drop your weapons and put on sackcloth. We've seen sackcloth several times in our text. Sackcloth, literally wearing a sack, was an outward symbol of inward repentance, of turning from your sin to God. That's what repentance is. You saw that word turn in verse 8. Friends, do you see in our text how belief is connected to repentance? Uh, The people believed, verse 5, and repented, verses 6 through 8. Beloved, belief and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Uh, You can't have one without the other. So if you're here thinking, I believe in Jesus, but you're not turning from your sins, friend, you don't really believe in Jesus. I'm not saying you don't believe there's a God, that you don't mentally agree that a man named Jesus existed. I'm not saying you don't feel like you have faith in him. The Bible is just saying, if you're living like you can believe in God without turning from your sin, you don't believe in God the same way the Ninevites do, the way that will actually save you. Friends, let it be clear. To be saved, the Ninevites had to repent. 
And here the Ninevites belief led to repentance and their repentance showed the authenticity of their belief. Friends, true Christians believe and repent. If you believe, you will repent. You won't live perfectly, but you will live repentantly. And I praise God so many of you here are doing just that. Beloved, be encouraged. This room is filled with people who believe and repent. This room is filled with people who've changed. I mean, some of us used to get drunk. Some of us used to sleep around. Some of us used to curse like a sailor. Some of us used to cheat in school. Some of us used to lie. Some of us used to judge others. But behold, the old has passed. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. You've changed. You've you've been changed by God's power. Friend, if you're not a Christian, I want to be clear. I emphasize God's power because the change we're talking about isn't mere moral improvement. It's not you just trying as hard as you can to be a nicer, better person. That doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is you don't just need to be better. You need to be resurrected. Because like all people... You are dead in your sins. Better than asking can people change is to ask can people be changed? Because, beloved, the change we're talking about isn't done by us gritting our teeth and trying to be good. No, the change we're talking about is more of something that happens to you as you, like the people of Nineveh, are confronted with God's word. We've been talking about the Ninevites' repentance. Well, the Bible in other places like 2 Timothy 2 or Acts 5 makes clear that even our repentance is a gift of God. And in our text, God gives so many gifts of repentance, you'd think it's Christmas morning in Nineveh. I mean, can you imagine the joy when they learn that God would forgive them? There must have been a party as wild as Stepsing at Samford. <laughs> Megan and I went to Stepsing this last week. Uh, it was our first time. We were not emotionally equipped uh, for what we were walking into, but beloved, it was joyful. It was a good time. I imagine Nineveh, after the sackcloth, felt similar. Can people be changed? Yes! even the worst of us, by God's power. Before we move to our next point, I want to clarify one more thing. We've been talking about change, and you might have noticed in verse 10, it seems like God changes. Uh, Verse 10, when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What's going on? Did did God change his mind? No, friends. uh, Scripture says that God is not a man that he should change his mind. He's not fickle. 
Uh, He doesn't have mood swings. Uh, Often prophecies are conditional. Implied in them is that if you listen to this prophecy of judgment and change by God's grace, it won't come about. Uh, Otherwise, prophecies would just be cruel. Like, hey, hammer's about to drop on y'all. Sorry, nothing you can do about it. But beloved, let me say something that a lot of Christians even struggle to believe. God is not cruel. God is not cruel. He's good. Unlike us, he is good. And that is what we see in the next chapter, chapter 4. We've seen Nineveh repent of their sin, and God relent of his judgment, and everyone is happy. Everyone except the prophet Jonah. In light of Nineveh's repentance, chapter 4 reads, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. And said, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up, The next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Friends, it seems our story takes a sad turn. But even, this, even in the sadness, I think there is joy for us. Beloved, can people change? Answer point number two, yes, because of God's patience. Can people change? Yes, because of God's patience. This point will cover chapter four, verses one, to, one through 11. Let's look at it again. We saw Nineveh repent, God relent, And Jonah resent all of this. It displeased him 
exceedingly, chapter 4, verse 1 says. Uh, Maybe you've been sitting through this sermon series and you've thought, how do you know Jonah didn't want Nineveh to be saved? The text never says, friends, it says it now. In this section, uh, it reminds us of a good rule of reading our Bibles. If you have a question or you're confused, just keep reading. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. And there's a good chance the confusion will be resolved. Uh, Jonah knew there was a chance for Nineveh to be forgiven. That's why he ran away, he says in verse 2. Because he knows God is not cruel, but rather that he, like Exodus 34 says, is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah had no questions about God's conditional prophecies, not because he knows every in and out of how God's sovereignty works with man's responsibility, but because he knows God's character. And because he knew God's character, Jonah knew God's forgiveness could flow to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want that. Verse 3, he said, said, he'd rather die than see those people live. And how does God respond to Jonah's displeasure? Friends, this is why this second point is about patience. A God doesn't shut Jonah down, doesn't yell at him. He does what God does best. He asks a question. Verse four, do you do well to be angry? Other translations would say, do you have any right to be angry? Uh, God here sounds so much like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Ty read it to us earlier. Uh, There we saw the father talking to that self-righteous older brother, reasoning with him, pleading with him, son, come to the party. But that son, like Jonah, chose to focus on himself and go away. Friends, make no mistake, to choose self-righteousness is to choose misery. Jonah could have rejoiced in God saving sinners. Could have been, he could have been reminded of how God saved him a couple chapters earlier. Uh, he could have come to the party with the fattened calf. But what does Jonah do? He stays outside the party. He chooses bitterness rather than delight. Isolation rather than fellowship. Friends, self-righteous people don't like being too close to other sinners. They don't like seeing other sinners be lifted up because it threatens the positions that they perceive themselves to have, that they're above those people. Friends, self-righteous people don't like telling people about Jesus because that requires telling other people how to be made right with God and self-righteous people like being the only ones who are right with God. Friends, self-righteous people don't like the thought that they are just as bad as the very people they look down on. Beloved, let me be frank. In a room this size, 
there's bound to be some of you who know you're sinful, but you don't think you're that sinful. You don't think you're that bad. You're not like that person who's really terrible. You're just kind of terrible. And it's because of that belief, beloved, that grace is not all that sweet to you. It's because of that self-righteousness, beloved, that Jesus doesn't make you all that happy. You don't think you really need him. Pray that God would show you your need of him. I mentioned prayer, and we left off with Jonah's conversation with God. Uh, it had ended, and Jonah, verse 5, says, went out to the city to see what, we, what would become of this city. You know, maybe Jonah's thinking there's a chance God will still burn Nineveh to the ground. Brothers and sisters, there, there's a reason Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. That's what Jonah was trying to do. But he was getting a little uncomfortable. You'll remember the text says Jonah made a booth to sit under. Friends, Jonah is not just hot emotionally. He's physically heating up because it's so hot outside. Ironic, isn't it? Before, Jonah had too much water. Now he has too much heat. But God gives Jonah comfort. He appointed a plant that would give Jonah some shade. And Jonah, the pouting prophet, the end of verse 6, says was exceedingly glad. Friends, do you see the fickleness of man compared to the steadfastness of God? Jonah is up and down like a toddler. And yet God forbears. Jonah goes to sleep. The toddler needs a nap. He awakes, verse 7, dawn comes and God appoints. There's that word that's been throughout all our book, God appointing, just as he appointed the fish. Now in verse 7, God appoints a worm. Friends, whether it's the whales or the worms, God is in charge. Over big blessings and little blessings, God is in charge. Over big problems and little problems, God is in charge. And so he appoints a worm. The worm eats up Jonah's plant, and just like the storm, just like the fish, just like the worm, God appointed a scorching wind, verse 8 says. And the plant was gone. Jonah again is miserable. And again, look at the end of verse 8. Jonah said, It's better for me to die than to live. God goes on in verse 9 to ask Jonah, do you, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Jonah spits back, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Friends, so often it can seem that death is easier than being sanctified by God. You know, I'd rather die than change. So often it can seem as if death is better than living without our idols. You know, that plant gave Jonah a lot of comfort. He was happy, but as soon as God took it away, he was right back to his anger. Friends, do you love God's gifts more than God? 
If he took them away, could you still love God? I like what one commentator said. If we feel that without a certain person or position or achievement, our life would not be worth living, we may be deeper into our, our, our idolatry than we think. Friends, idols keep us from seeing what really matters, who really matters. Jonah was more concerned with the plant than the people of Nineveh, people who were made in God's image. The God who is merciful. And it's his mercy that God goes on to explain. He says, Jonah, you felt bad for the plant that you didn't labor over. You didn't grow. It was here today, gone tomorrow. And then he asked, verse 11, look with me, should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Uh, this reference to people who don't know their right hand from their left, uh, it could be a reference to children. It could also be a reference to people who can't distinguish good from evil. Friends, Scripture is clear. We're responsible for the things we do. We're not merely victims. We're sinners. But Scripture is also clear that sinners can't help but sin. They've been captured by the enemy to do his will. Rather than look down on folks, we should feel bad for folks who don't know Jesus. But you might wonder why the book ends with this question about cattle. I think it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek ending. God's like, Jonah, if if you can't feel bad for the people, could you at least feel bad for the cows? I mean, you're able to feel bad for the plants. Let's go one step above the plants. How about the cows? And yet, friends, in this, what we also see is that Jonah's pity party doesn't change God's mind. Nineveh is still saved. Jonah doesn't get to tell God who he can and can't forgive. No. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It may be frustrating, but at the end of this story, we don't see how Jonah responds to the Lord's question. But that makes sense because this book is not about Jonah. It's about the Lord. It began, it began with his word and ends with his word. It teaches us who he is, how he acts. Friend, what does Jonah's response to Nineveh's repentance teach you about the Lord? It should teach us that the Lord is good and we are not. You see, beloved, this isn't merely a story that has come and gone. That's why it's left open-ended. Because we, who know ourselves to be sinners, we who know ourselves to be self-righteous, we are in need of mercy. And that is exactly why God sent another prophet. Jonah clearly wouldn't do, but one greater than Jonah has come. Jesus. You see, whereas the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jonah, Jesus was and is the word of God. He is God. Whereas Jonah ran from his enemies in hatred, Jesus ran toward his enemies in love. Whereas Jonah caused the storm because of his sin, Jesus calmed the storm without sin. Whereas Jonah 
died and rose figuratively. Jesus was murdered and rose actually. Friends, do you see the parallels between Jonah and Jesus? It's this kind of striking parallel that gives me confidence in the scriptures. Beloved, Jonah was written over 700 years before Jesus came. And look at how closely the links, their lives are linked. And look at how long God has bared with sinners like us. Friends, we don't know how Jonah's story ended, but what about your story? How long has God been patient with you? Jesus died more than 2,000 years ago, and here God is still offering mercy to us today. Romans chapter 2 says the Lord has been patient so that we, like the people of Nineveh, might repent. Friends, kids, teenagers, do that tonight. Turn from your sins. Rely on Jesus. Rejoice that Jesus bore the wrath that you deserve for your sins on the cross. Beloved, though Jesus did everything right, God did not relent from the disaster of pouring out his judgment. No, he poured it out on Jesus. So that he could pour out on you his mercy and his grace. If you believe and repent. Will you do that? Will you keep doing that? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Help us to see our need and to cast ourselves wholly upon you. We pray in your name. Amen.